Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, and I'm the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're in our series, Eyes on Jesus, where we're jumping into the topics of anxiety, worry, and fear, and how we can fight those things with Jesus on our side. So today, we're getting to the heart of the matter. Why is it that we worry? How can we practically begin to look to Jesus to take care of our every need, just as God's word says in Matthew 6, 25 through 34? We're glad you've joined us as we dive into the answers to these questions in today's message. All right, well, again, I just wanna say welcome. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you to grab your Bible and um, open to Matthew chapter six. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, that's cool. We have some in the gym at the Next Steps table. We'd love for you to take one. That'll be our gift to you this morning. Just grab one and and take it home with you and um, bring it back next week. Uh, Also, most of the passages that we'll read this morning, especially the the Matthew chapter 6 passage that we work through, will be on the screen behind me if if, if that's your, your speed and you'd rather just read it off of there. That's great. Uh, Last week, we began uh, a series called Eyes on Jesus, and it's a four-week series. Last week, you heard from Pastor Jeff and myself and our other campus pastors, Pastor Jason and Pastor Nick and uh, our family ministry pastor, uh, Chase Baker, and all of us together kind of working through what's causing worry and and the different places and and how do we fix those things. And so we just kind of worked through just an opening, kind of an uh, an introduction to this series. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue working through exploring this universal experience of worry and anxiety and fear and how do we deal with it? What is what does the Bible say about those things? And so here's, a, here's what I want to promise you that over the next couple of weeks as we work through this problem or work through this topic, uh, I, I, I'm promised that I'm not going to minimize worry and anxiety and fear. I promise that I'm not going to ignore worry and anxiety and fear and act like it doesn't exist. I I promise that what we're going to do is is we're not going to try to give some trite bumper sticker phrase that really means nothing, but we like to say it to try to heal some uh, some idea of worry. What I what I believe that we're going to do, what I what I pray that we will do, and what I want to promise that we'll do is that we're going to go to God's word as our authority. We're going to lean in and attempt to pull back the curtain on worry and shine the light of the gospel, uh, light of the gospel of Jesus on this worry and anxiety and fear and say, God, would you do something in us? Because it's a universal experience. This is one of those topics, right? You could talk about marriage and some of the room are not a part of it. You could talk about singleness and some in the room are not part of it. There's so many topics that we could talk about that, that maybe some part of the room experiences, but not all. But this is one of those topics, worry, anxiety, fear, that none of us get out of. And so it's, it, it, it's applicable. It's, it's re, it relevant, relevant, relative, re, whatever. It's one of those words that starts with an R to all of us, Right? So let's jump into the passage. If you have your Bibles again, Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 34 will be our text for the day. It says this, therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Verse 28, and why, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after such things and your heavenly father knows what you need, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will have, will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Pray with me. Jesus, we, we come to your word as the authority. We open up your word that you would teach us and that you would instruct us and point us to life that you promise is abundant and full. God, we know that there's not one of us that gets out of this, this reality of worry and stress and anxiety and fear. Not one of us will, will, will move through life without that experience at one level or another. And so, Father, we know that your word is, is, is applicable for us this morning. Your, your word has a word for us this morning, and I pray that you would open our ears and open our eyes to be able to see and hear the truth of your word. And that, God, we would grow in faith in you and love for you. And as those, as faith and love grow, that fear and worry would shrink and fall away. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. It's true for all of us that we can worry about just about anything, right? I mean, if, if we take just an just a inventory of our lives, we can worry about just about anything. We can worry about where we're going to eat after church. We can worry about whether or not when we get to the restaurant that we're going to eat after church, if the Methodists got there before us. That's an old pastor's joke and it just never stops being funny. We'll beat the Methodist, I hope. We're going to worry, we can worry about what we're going to wear. I know we're taking family pictures next week and there is worry in my house about what we are going to wear because it has to match, right? And it has to fit. And dang it, some of it doesn't fit anymore. Because <laughs> when I worry, I eat, as that's Matt's, yeah. We can worry about what we're gonna order at Starbucks and if we're gonna say the words correctly and the barista's not going to roll their eyes at us because we don't say it right. We can worry about just about anything. We can worry about traffic and whether or not we'll be late for an appointment. We can worry about the weather. We can worry about how the Titans are going to do this afternoon against the Jets, which hopefully is good. 
And if you watch the news with breaking news updates every three to four minutes, there's a whole nother section of things that we can worry about, that they just bring to the table all the time. But the reality is that we can worry about just about anything, but there are weighty things that we worry about on a regular basis. We worry about finances and health. We worry about school and grades. Parents, we worry about our kids. And when, when, as kids, when we get older, we worry about our parents. We worry about the future. We can worry about, we can worry about being alone. We can worry about the countless what ifs that face us in life. But Jesus himself in this passage and in, in throughout scripture affirms again and again, this instruction not to worry. And this isn't the lyrical genius of of Bobby McFerrin saying, don't worry or be happy. It's not the classic duo uh, from Disney's uh, Lion King with their problem-free philosophy, which is, thank you very much. No, it's the creator of the universe. God made flesh here in this passage who is clearly, compassionately, and full of grace saying to us, don't worry. And so what does that mean? Slow down and question ourselves. Because we all worry, we have to question ourselves. Why? Why is this such an important thing for us to talk about? Why is this something that we have to even discuss? And, and, and here's, here's the first thing. If you have your worship guide, this is the, the first thing there. And you want to just fill it out just to, to follow along. It says that we were not created to worry that we were not created to worry. See, God didn't create you and I to worry. What he created us to do, and if you go back to Genesis, he created us to live in relationship with him in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. There was this relationship where they would rely and rest and trust in him for everything that they needed and everything that they needed was provided for them by the hand of the one who created created them. They were not created to worry, but worry happens now because sin happened then and it continues to happen. Worry is a result of sin entering the world and we begin to worry, we begin to get anxious and stressed out about will we have these things that ultimately we were not created to even worry about. According to the American Psychological Association, the the definition of worry is this, a state of mental distress due to concern about impending or anticipated events, threats, or danger. A state of mental distress or agitation due to concern about impending or anticipated events, threats, or danger. I said this earlier and and, and it bears repeating because what I don't want to do, I don't want you to, to think that what we're going to do is just overlook this and, and make little of worry because the reality is worry is real, right? That's the second thing that you could feel out there. Worry is real. We weren't created to worry, but worry happens. It's real. It's a universal experience across all cultures, across all ages, across all demographics, no matter where you find yourself this morning, from five years old to 50 To 75, all of us experience worry at some level. We have real things that occupy our minds, real concerns. We laugh about them earlier, but there's real things 
that are happening in this room, things that, that are happening in your life that are, are causing you to concern this morning. Some of you walked in with some heavy things on your shoulders. Some things in the horizon as we look across the horizon of our culture and you think, man, I'm worried about where we're headed. There's real things that are, that are happening in our world and the problem is not, the, the, the goal is not to make them insignificant or small, but to somehow go to scripture and find clarity on what Jesus means as we face troubles. Because Jesus tells us, we're going to face them. And if you go to John chapter 16, verse 33, it'll come up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. It says, I have told you, Jesus says this to his disciples. This is hours before he's going to go to the cross. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be things that worry you, things that make you, that make you concerned and, and move you past just a normal concern to worry and trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Job says this in, in, in chapter 5 of Job, verse 7, he says, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. The reality is all of us are going to face them. All of us are going to face them. And so since we're going to face trouble... It's not something that we can escape. It, it, it's our response to those worries. It's our response to those things that I think we have to make sure that we understand. And so I believe it is important to be clear for us, even as we work through it, that there's a difference or there's that worry and concern or worry is not the same thing as concern. That worry is not the same thing as concern. As I prepared this week, there was an article I read by a guy named Timothy Lane, and it helped me kind of wrap my mind around this difference between worry and concern. In, in the passage, Jesus says it three times, at least three times, don't worry. And the, and the Greek word that he uses there is this word of, that means like to be distracted, to be distracted in mind or to be double-minded. We'll get to the, a second in the context of what that means, but this, this, this divided loyalty between God's kingdom and my little kingdom. Where God's kingdom is, is right and true and my little kingdom that I'm trying to control things is where, where I could pretend that I'm in control things. And, and what, he said, what, what Timothy Lane kind of states and what I, what I believe is a great way to kind of understand the difference between worry and concern is this, that he says, worry is over concern. Right? There's a natural reality that it, it's appropriate to be concerned about things. Concern recognizes something and it's deserving of our attention and our wise action. And concern drives us to pray deliberately for God's movement. Whereas worry is an over-concern. It thinks and acts as everything is up to me. It says, I can control what is uncontrollable and it's fixated on having or being enough and it prays desperately or not at all. Worry is over-concern. There's certain things that we have in our lives that, that should concern us, right? Personally, I, I'm, I'm, the reality is that, that we're concerned about things, and it, but it, there's a difference between having a divided heart and, and recognizing something that is a concern for us, right? I'm concerned about my health. And so I do certain things to take care of myself. I go to regular checkups. I maybe go to the gym once a week or something. That should be sufficient. Whatever it is, there, because I'm concerned about my health, I do certain things to make sure that I can be as healthy as possible. 
But worry is that over-concern and it acts as if I am the one that's 100% in control of my health. I'm the one that controls that. And every sneeze or cough begins to, to worry me or send me into some kind of panic or overwhelmed at the thought that, that this, is, this is going to transition into something else or this little pain causes something far worse than just a normal pain in a 40-something-year-old body, which happens way more often than anybody told me. There's a concern that causes us to take action that's normal an over-concern that causes us to take action and to act as if it's all on us. And worry, not concern, but worry exposes something that I believe that most of us are not really ready to understand or really ready to accept and deal with. This is the last point on that first section is that worry is a spiritual issue. That worry is a spiritual issue for us. And it's to say it another way that and this is why I said I don't think most of us are ready to, to really grasp this or really take, understand or, or, or really deal with the reality is that worry is a sin. And Jesus said, I mean, if we go back and say that worry was not what we were created to do, then doing anything that what we were not created to do is outside of God's plan for us. And what would that be other than sin? It's a spiritual issue. It exposes in our hearts that we trust ourselves or somebody else more than we trust God. Jerry Bridges, the author of a, of a book called Respectable Sins, calls worry one of the greatest, most influential, respectable sins in most Christians' lives. Because the reality is that by God's grace, no, there will be none of us that live lives that, that are ended up being a murderer, right? We're like, oh, well, I didn't murder anybody. And by God's grace, none of us will, will commit adultery and, and you're not going to live a life of, of, of a thief and, and go off robbing right, people. And you're not, more than likely, most of us are not going to live that, that direction. And we'll think because we don't do these handful of things that are big sins, that we're living all right the whole time, we're ravaged by worry. But it's a respectable sin. It's one of those things that we just kind of overlook and act like it's not a big deal and we don't think twice about it. But worry is a sin and it's a thief and it steals our peace and our purpose. It isolates us, it makes us victims or causes us to think that we're victims. And we have to see it, it for what it is if we're gonna deal with it. And we have to see the reality that, that not only is it something that we have to deal with now, but it's not something that we can just get to later because the, the reality, one of, my, one of my good friends, a mentor of mine 14 years ago told me this. He said, this was 14 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, he said T, there's never going to be a day after today that you are less busy than you are today. I was like, that's confusing. He's like, there's not going to be a day past this day that you will be less busy than you are today. And I was like, all right, old man, whatever, right? We're gonna get that groove. Everything's gonna calm down. It's gonna be awesome. And every day he proves to be true. Every day there's more to do. I thought when my dad, when I was young, that my dad, all he did was come home from work and sit on the couch. I had no idea it was all of these things to be busy with. And the reality is not only is it that you're not going to be less busy, there's not going to be less things to worry about as you get older. 
I mean, I think about the timeline of my kids' lives and what I'm worried about now. And then I look three or four years in advance and I'm like, license and cars. I'm not ready to worry about that. And then college and moving out. I'm certainly not ready to worry about that. And then marriage, went to a wedding last night. I'm like, I'm not ready to worry about my kids getting married. There's certainly not going to be less to worry about as the timeline of my life goes forward. And so to deal with it, to understand the reality of what it is, that it's a spiritual issue, that it's something that all of us face, we've got to understand the gravity of it if we're going to actually deal with it. Here's the thing, as we look at it, as we take a second and we slow down and we assess our hearts and why we worry, what I believe that that will do is give us a good assessment of where our lives have become double-minded, where we've misplaced our devotion and are beginning to look at other things or trust other things more than we've trust God and we're loving other things or worshiping other things. What we really love and what we really worship and what we really care about is gonna be exposed in our hearts as we really look and slow down and ask, why am I worried? See, the result of worry is that worry is a result of, and there's a couple things here, the worry is a result of a misplaced devotion. That's what we said a second ago, that it's this divided devotion. It's this divided devotion for us. And, and, and the, what we see in this passage is Jesus talks to his disciples and then to the people that are gathered there in the Sermon on the Mount and all these people that are there to listen to him as he preaches God's word and teaches them this, this, this teaching of the gospel. He's talking about who God is and what it looks like to live life in God's kingdom. One of the main things that he's telling us is not to worry. He's concerned about our hearts in this reality and he's, what he's teaching over as you get to this point in the passage is that your treasure is in the wrong place. That worry is a result of this misplaced devotion that your treasure is in the, in the wrong place. That, our, that where your treasure is, right, that's where your heart is. And when your treasure is, it begins to get affected, when your treasure is, 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 is attacked, then we begin to worry. When the things that we think that we're holding on to, when we treasure what's in the wrong place, we begin to worry. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching to these people. Like you think about the, 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 the audience that he's teaching to are, are people that are, that are farmers and, and carpenters. They live based on what happens. And that's why really what he talks about is don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to, what you're going to eat and drink and what you're going to wear and where you're going to live because God's is the one who provides. And that would speak directly into these individuals. And it's not exactly the same, but it speaks directly into us and likewise because it tells us not to worry about things that God's going to provide. The needs that we have, shelter and clothes and food, he's going to provide. The essence of worry is really this vain attempt to find our ultimate hope and our ultimate comfort and meaning in something that is temporal, temporal and fleeting. And when that's attacked, when, that's, when, when something comes up against that which is temporary and fleeting and our hope and our comfort and our meaning is, find, if meaning is found in that, then we begin to worry and our hearts are divided. When we talk about 
trusting God. And I think one of the ways that we say that is I trust God. And a lot of times what we do in that moment is we say, I, I do, I believe, and I trust God. But we put a comma at the end of that. We put a comma there and usually follow it, but. But when we talk about trusting God, it's a period. It's not a comma. It's, it's the, I trust God, period. He either, either is who he says he is, and I can trust him for what he says he's going to do, or he's not. And if he's not, then we need to run away and do something different. But if he is, then him calling us not to worry and saying that we can trust him is the end of that sentence. And we can actually trust that he's going to do that. Second thing that, there, that worry, worry is a result of is forgetting who God is. It's forgetting who God is and how good he is. Worry is a result of forgetting who God is and how good he is. The problem with problems is perspective. The problem with problems is perspective. When I'm so close to the problem, it's hard for me to see anything other than the problem. When there's trouble in my life and I'm so close to the trouble, it's hard for me to see anything else but the trouble. But perspective, when I, when I begin to back away and put myself closer to the Lord, the problem begins to get smaller as God begins to get bigger, right? We've experienced that. Those moments in our lives when, when we draw near to God and the problems that we're facing begin to, to, to fall away because God becomes bigger and the problems that we were facing, the troubles begin to get smaller. It doesn't say that they go away because in this world we will have troubles, but they, but they get smaller and they're, they're sized correctly next to the God that we worship. And I, I would agree with, I would agree there, there are not many words in scripture that are more comforting than the words that Jesus says here. That he talks about the, the look at the, the birds of the field and, and look at the, the, lily, the, the, birds, of the birds of the air and, the, and the, the, the flowers of the field and that God takes care of those things. So we're forgetting who God is and, and, and that he is all over and over. He's three times in this passage, he says that God is your heavenly father. And how much more will he, if he does these things for the birds and the lilies of the field, how much more will he do those things for you? How much more valuable are you to him than they? And when we forget who God is, and how good he is, our souls begin to get weighed down with the trouble. And what happens there is, is that it becomes, according to what Jesus says, is, is that it's foolish for us to spin our wheels in that worry. Because two things, there's two, reasons, two ways that he describes that. One, because we can't add another moment to our lives. And then secondly, this is not the way that, that followers of Jesus live. In Matthew 6, Matthew verse 6, verse 32, it says this, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. When I, when I look at the landscape of a lot of what's happening in our, in our culture, and our world, what's sad is that there's not a real difference between the church and how we're handling the worry and the concern that we have and followers of Jesus and how the world's handling it. And that's a red flag for all of us. 
if we're spinning our wheels and have the same worry and are, and are overwhelmed in the same way that our culture and the world around us is, we're not living a life that says, God, you're in control. And I trust you more than I trust the landscape of the world that I live in, or I trust you more than I trust the, our politicians or our politics, more than I trust the money that I make, more than I trust the people that I'm around. I trust you more than those things. But what Jesus says is when we worry this way, we live just the same way the pagans do. And when we worry that way, because we don't use the word pagans very often around here, right? We're living the same way our culture does. And there's a red flag for us all in that moment. If we're forgetting, if forgetting who God is and, and how good he is, 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 is a result or results in worry, then the remedy for worry the remedy for worry for all of us is this, that we turn our eyes to Jesus. It's not, and you, I skipped one there, the remedy for worry is, is not laziness or escape, right? Because the, the way that we can do this is, is we can binge watch TV shows, right? We can isolate or we can withdraw. We can do what I don't really understand is, and not eat because the opposite is what I do and eating and overeating, right? We can worry and, and, and it can cause us not to sleep or to sleep too much and we can drink. And I mean, how many people have worried and fought and, and, and sought relief from that worry at the bottom of a bottle or from drugs and, and those kind of things, dif different ways that we seek after these things. But the re remedy for worry is not laziness or escape. It's not running away or, or acting like we do, it doesn't really matter in this some kind of Zen state of no worry or cares and concerns. That's really selfishness and foolish to just act like things don't matter. No, the reality is that what, the way that we fight worry is by turning our eyes to Jesus. And if forgetting who God is and, and, and how good he is is the results in worry, then remembering who God is and how good he is it's how we wage war against that worry. We talked about it just a second ago. Ultimately, he says more than once, two or three times in this passage, Jesus says that your heavenly father knows what you need. Your heavenly father knows what you need and he takes care of those things. How much more is he gonna take care of you? And this is in that passage Jesus right before here is teaching the disciples how to pray and the opening words of that prayer that many of us have prayed before is pray like this, heavenly father, our father who art in heaven. He says, you're gonna call him your father. And this, is, this blows the minds of the Pharisees, this teaching to call for us to be able to call God our father is blows their minds because there's an intimacy that is, that's involved in that phrasing. This, the way that he says it is more like daddy. There's an intimacy and an authority that I can enter into this room and say, daddy, I need you. When one of my kids runs up to me this afternoon after this is all over and I'm talking to you, they're going to walk into the room and the older ones shouldn't say it this way, but if they say, daddy, I'm going to look and I may say, hold on just one second. I'm talking to somebody else, but they have every right to walk in and interrupt any of our conversations because that's my child. 
And the invitation that Jesus says is that why do you worry your dad, your father, your heavenly father who is good, he knows what you need. So we remember who he is and how good he is, how much more he loves us than, than how much more he'll take care of us. But then secondly, Jesus says that how we wage war, the remedy for, our, for worry is to seek him. Verse 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. The remedy, the remedy for worry is to worship, or excuse me, to remember and to seek his kingdom. To remember who he is and how, how good he is and to seek his kingdom. And that's, that's to say that, that his kingdom is, is our prime ambition, our first importance. And we can ask and just to kind of, just to walk, the reality is that there's ambitions that we have and things that we pursue. And it's not that they're bad. We have desires to pursue hobbies and careers and, voca or, or, and relationships. And those things are not bad. As long as the first thing that I'm pursuing is the kingdom. And that's not, when he says that all these things will be added unto you, it's not saying that, that this health and wealth reality, that you're going to get a lot of stuff because you seek God's first, your kingdom first. What he says is that everything else falls in line after that. When God's kingdom is what I'm seeking first, then the way that I handle money, it falls in line under that kingdom. When God's kingdom is what I seek first, then the way that I handle relationships falls in line. When God's kingdom is first, then the way that I handle my health falls in line. And on and on, that it falls, it's an, it's an order. It's not that you get a lot of stuff. We can ask ourselves the question, even as we sit here today, is what, I, is, is what I'm concerned about God's kingdom or is it my kingdom? Is it, am I seeking my kingdom first or his kingdom first? And if I'm seeking his kingdom first, is it evident? Is it obvious in the decisions that I make? In the relationships that I have with my neighbors and the people that I work with, does it show up in the way that I spend the money that God has given me and the resources that he's given me? In the pursuits that I have academically and career-wise and athletically, what are, does it show up in the aspirations that I have and my ambition that I'm pursuing God's kingdom first? Does it show up in what I post in social media? Always what I'm really concerned about is how much I can accumulate my kingdom where I get recognized, where being a part of the right crowd and the popular crowd is most important. Is it my kingdom and getting the right job is first? Is it my kingdom and being safe and secure is first? But when we seek God's kingdom first, it changes all of those things and everything else falls into line. I want to close this morning and just say, ask the, the question of, all right, so what's the next step? So if I'm going to fall in line, if I'm going to seek God's kingdom and remember who he is and, and how good he is, what, what's the next step? And, 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 and I would say it's twofold. One, it's opening up God's word and spending time with him. If, if, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it a thousand more times before God takes me home, hopefully, hopefully a lot more than that. Opening up God's word and reading his word is how we know who he is and how good he is. 
And if you have a disciples guide, which I think we have some at the, at the table out there, the disciples guide, and the daily steps and reading God's word daily and opening up, it asks three questions. Who is God in this passage? Who does, who does this passage, or what does this passage teach me about God and his character? What does this passage teach me about who I am? And what does this passage teach me about what I'm supposed to do? The application to my life. And so when we read scripture and we see who God is and, and our need for him, and with that practice that we emulate, we begin to take steps towards his kingdom and not our kingdom. There's a whole group of passages that I want to read so bad, but we just don't have time this morning. Because as we read God's word, we learn that he's our provider, that he loves us, that he cares for us. As we read Matthew chapter 6 in this passage, we read and we understand that Jesus cares and he concern, he's concerned for our heart. And his worry ravages our heart. He says, I don't want that to steal the purpose that I have for your life. That he loves us and he cares and he's compassionate. That, I, that, that worry is a reality is what I learn about myself. And then what I, what I realize is that he doesn't leave me without answers. But he gives me the direction. As you open up God's word and you read it, daily, right? Because tomorrow has enough worries for itself. So it's not just once, it's daily opening up God's word to meet the challenges and the worries that we have. And secondly, I would say that it's spending time in community, which is why I believe wholeheartedly that if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, then there's going to be two things that you value, spending time with God and his word and spending time with God's people in community. And so that's why we talk about doing community groups and why I want to invite you to be a part of, of a community group by grabbing that link on the back of that worship guide and signing up for one of those. Because I believe that if we're going to face the worries and wage war on the worries, it's going to be because we spend time with God in his word and we spend time with God's people in community. And to live the life that's full that he's promised us. I'm going to invite the band to come, come up and we're going to close with just a repeat of a song that we sang that just reminds us that he is the provider. Reminds us that he is the one who gives and he is the one who clothes, clothes the lilies of the valley, that he's the one who gives everything that is needed to the, to the birds of the air. And how much more does he care for you and provide for us? Ask the, the ushers to join us and we're, we'll take up the offering. And after that, these guys will just lead us in one kind of song just to, as we head out. And if, if, you're, if you're here and you, again, if you're a first time or maybe you're just checking us out, uh, certainly we're not asking you for your money. Uh, that's not a part of who we are. We would love for you to just drop that, that connection card in there and let us know who you are. So again, we can connect with you. For those of you who are part of Rolling Hills and your partners here, and, and maybe you've been here for a long time, uh, we're thankful that you give and you give faithfully and sacrificially and uh, according to what God has given you. And, and we're blessed uh, with, by your giving. Your giving allows us to do ministry in the city and be for Columbia as we talk about over and over again. So thank you for giving. I'll say this, if you're a part of the, have you 
been a part of the Franklin campus for a long time uh, and maybe you've done the, the giving online and that just kind of happens uh, on, a, on a schedule, uh, I'd invite you just to move that over to the Columbia campus that just helps us kind of track where we are and how we can best use the resources that we have. Uh, I just invite you to do that. But I want to pray for our offering and then just make sure I give you one more, um, one more thing before we sing and exit this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much that you know us, that you, are, that you are our heavenly father, God, and that you know us. You know what we need more than we know and that you provide for us. God, we trust you more than we trust ourselves. And we ask that you would help us to, to see more clearly those places in our hearts where our hearts and our minds, where they're divided in the loyalty, where we're seeking our kingdom and not your kingdom. And by your grace, not because, not because you're mad, but because by grace, you draw us out of that to live a life that is abundant and full and free. Take these offerings, Lord, this morning and use them for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.